Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I love introducing you to people who have been focusing on their own learning and development, as well as helping those around them to grow and develop to be the best that they can be. And that's also the focus of my company, Grow Strong Leaders. We create tools and books that help people learn how to connect more effectively with each other in the workplace. And you can learn more about us at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am very excited to have with me someone who is an amazing person in the field of learning and development technology, Christopher Lind. Christopher, welcome to my show. Hey, thanks, Meredith. Happy to happy to be here and happy to just sit and chat with you. Well, I am I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I've listened to some of your podcast episodes and read some of your posts, and you're just a wealth of information that I know is going to be of great interest to my audience. Let me tell them a little bit about you before we dive in. Christopher is the Chief Learning Officer at Chen Med. He's globally recognized as a digital first leader in learning and workplace technology. And his career is interesting because he didn't come out of human resources, but he does come out of the intersection of people, business, and technology. And he's also the founder of a company called Learning Sharks, where he serves as an advisor to companies around their learning and development technologies. He's also the host of an excellent podcast called Learning Tech Talks. And he is, in addition to all of that, the devoted husband and father of six children, ages 12 and under. Christopher, that in itself would keep you hopping. So <laughs> do you get much sleep? In, you know, in, that's in there? I, I joke about it, but there's truth to the fact that that's why I don't have any hair and I always have bags under my eyes. So, <laughs> you know, I, I guess it's just par for the course. Well, thank you. I wouldn't change it for the world, though. So that's that's the reality of it. That's great. Well, that's important. Um, yeah. I'm the mother of one and grandmother of two. And um, I know how important those relationships are. So let's start out by having you tell us about your journey into this learning technology when human resources wasn't your background. What was? Uh, well, so I originally, like going way back, if we were to go into the way back machine, I, I was always a tech geek. Everybody thought I was going to end up being some software engineer, start some tech company type of a thing. Um, and, and I got into it and realized uh, the tech was interesting, but what I was more fascinated by was how it was changing the possibilities with people. That, that was really what was fascinating. And that at the time wasn't really a thing. So I don't think people really knew what to do with me, but I loved explaining technology and helping people understand what they could do with it. So people thought I should be a teacher. They're just like, well, well we don't know what to do with you, but you seem to like helping people understand tech and what to do with so maybe teach people about it. Um, and again, the, the traditional academic route just didn't really make sense for me. 
And I think that's how I found my way into operations in a bunch of different companies, but was always that person going, what if we got people to do this? And people would say, well, how would we do that? And I would go, well, if we did this and we could use this technology to help kind of grease those skids. And then we do, and, and eventually people were like, I, I think that's what you should do because you seem to be really good at it, which learning and development, I guess that's the formal bucket that people have put it in. But honestly, most people are like, that doesn't necessarily fit you either. And I'm like, well, I guess I don't really fit any labels. So let's look at where you are right now as chief learning officer at GenMed. One of the things that they've been recognized for in 2021, they were recognized as a most loved place to work and also a change the world company. Yeah. That doesn't happen by accident. So talk about what, 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 what did you, what did they put in place to make that happen? So I won't even remotely try and take any of the credit for the great work that ChenMed did, because honestly, I, you know, I look at the founders and the family and they, and they looked at a broken healthcare system in America and said, we can do better than that. And what better place to start than the people who are most impacted by that, by which is the underserved. And so that was a very huge passion point for them and still is. And that's the whole you know purpose of the company. So when you look at that, I mean, that's, that's hard not to get behind. When you're solving a real problem in the world for people who desperately need it, I mean, that's not hard to go, hey, I can, I can sign up for that. You know? And it's a, it's a cool company to work for too. So it doesn't hurt that it's like, well, you're combining all those things. So I think that's where you know, the company itself, you know, why is it so, why do people love to work there? You, you get a feel for we're, we're changing and solving a real problem in people's lives. And that matters. And you see all the data coming out of COVID and all this as people are kind of reprioritizing what matters to them, feeling like they're making an impact. That's huge. And we're, we're doing it in a really meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Well, talk a little bit about those three core values that you had told me about, because I was impressed at what they are and how those really come to life in the way people treat each other as fellow employees, but also how they treat the people they serve. Yeah. So the, the three values, and, and we all have these memorized um, in addition to kind of our vision behind this, but you know, the three, the three values are love, passion, and accountability, which really is the trifecta of, I mean, anything related to people. It's like you put those three together and you've just got an unstoppable machine because, you know, the the passion piece. And and again, I think sometimes people misinterpret different words, but that passion is really being behind what you, you know, you got to care, you got to care a lot. And I think that's something that is really important to the culture we have and all the employees is that we care about what we do. It matters on a personal level, on a, on a human level, on just a well-being level, like we care about it. And I think that drives a lot of the tireless work we do to get across that. But you can't just do that alone because passion by itself, well, that doesn't, you know, that's that can be a very lonely road. If you're very passionate and nobody's there with you, well, you're not going to make it far. And I think that's where the love comes into play, where it's like, well, well, we got to take care of each other. We got to be there for one another. We got to be there for our patients. We got to be there to support each other because nobody's an island. You can't do this on your own. And I think that connective tissue 
is what allows that passion not to just burn up in the atmosphere. But I think that's where the third piece of the pie comes in is you can do all those things, but if you're not accountable for it of, well, is it working? You know, are we actually seeing what we're driving? You you can sit and, and be in la la land, but if there's no accountability and sometimes accountability is giving the tough message and saying, I get you're passionate about this and you care deeply and you're supporting the people doing this, but you are on the wrong path and it is going to end poorly and we need to do something about that. And so by combining those three, I think, like I said, you've, you've really created a force of nature. Mm, that's great. Can you give some examples or tell a story about how that, what does that look like when people are interacting with each other? Um, let's say they need to have a difficult conversation. Um, yeah. What kind of skills would you say they've acquired that allow them to actually put those values into practice? I mean, so I'll just look at the way I run my teams with things and really try and bring this to life within our teams. Because inevitably, you know, I came into the organization a year, a little over a year ago. And I've, like I said, I don't fit very many labels very well. And so where I wanted to go was was different. It was different than what things were before. And it was a different flavor than people were used to. And it required a different set of skills than people had. And so as we went through this transformation journey, there were times where, you know, I had to sit down and have serious conversations with people. But to me as a leader, it's like, well, you better lead it because you can't tell everybody else you need to show love, accountability, and passion. But like, I don't, I can be a complete tyrant and do whatever I want, but I expect that from you. And so a lot of it was taking the time to getting, get to know my teams and build trust and let them know I care about you. I care about what matters to you. I want to ultimately do what's right and do that first before just coming in with a bandsaw and going, here's everything that's happening. I'm, I'm, I'm blowing it up. It was, well, no, let me understand what's happening. Let me understand who you are as an individual. Let me understand where we're going as an organization. Let me build that pathway. And then let's talk about it candidly. And there have been times where I've had to say, we, you're, you're not strong enough here. And, and that's okay. I think that's the other thing that I've had to do is say, that's okay, but you have a choice. You have a choice to build the skills you need to move forward in this, or you can choose to say, I, I don't want to do that. And it's okay to opt out. And I'll be there to support you through that transition. I'm not just going to go, well, sorry, you're not part of my vision. I'll kick you to the curb. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. The, the whole thing of taking time Yes, <clears throat> that people, many leaders feel like they don't have time to, to slow down and have those kind of conversations, but I would love for you to speak to what are the benefits of, of investing the time in doing that? And then what's the price you pay if you don't? You know, this is kind of one of the systemic problems with learning and development in general is a lot of times there's an action bias. You know, it's, it's, well, we don't have time for that. We need to hurry up and, and just do this thing to get this outcome. And, I understand that. I understand that tendency. I mean, I, I personally, when you ask my wife, she'll tell you, I tend to sometimes just be like, no, we, we, get, we just got to go. Like, we need to do this. And she's the one that's like, but what are we trying to accomplish? Like, what are we trying to do? And I think that's, you know, that's, that's not a learning and development thing. That's, that's just a people. When you're dealing with people, 
you're dealing with complexity. You're dealing with a lot. You're dealing, I mean, business is complicated enough. Then you stack people on it and you've got another exponential level of complexity. And I think sometimes the idea that taking the time on the front end is actually slowing you down. It's a myth because if you take the time to understand why are things the way they are, where are we trying to get, what's the delta between where we are and where we're trying to get, and what are the barriers that we're experiencing? Why why aren't we doing that today? Like, has nobody ever had this idea before? Somebody somewhere has probably thought we should do this. Why hasn't that connected yet? And what I found with that is, is when you actually do that, you can move faster through the rest of it. So it's a perceived you're taking more time, but the acceleration factor that happens after that, you know, actually you, the front to end, you actually move quicker. And I think the other thing though is, I think sometimes that it takes a long time. And again, L&D people are notorious, but it's not an L&D thing for adding more time to that than there needs to be. And I think you can have a relatively quick conversation and understand what's going on without having to do a nine month, you know, analysis of figuring out it's like, well, I mean, maybe sometimes you got to do that, but that doesn't mean you have to sit idly by for nine months while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting how we can save a lot of time just by asking, having these simple conversations, you know, and we have a tendency to not do it, which always cracks me up when it's like, we need to do this because this, and it's like, did we ever ask? Oh, no, we don't have time to ask. We just need to do it. And let's just ask. It's 20 minutes. Just ask the question. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you did that well with your team up front. Um, because I think, I'm sure you've seen this where a new leader comes in and has a plan and just doesn't take the time to get the buy-in yeah. from the people who are going to be affected by it. And so that creates problems of its own. Well, and I think it goes back to what we talked about with the values where, I mean, nobody's an island unto themselves. So you can have the greatest ideas. You know, I mean, you look at some of the, the great, you know, Steve Jobs, Henry Ford, you know, Elon Musk. I mean, all these folks have these great ideas. But if you talk to any of them, I have no doubt that, I mean, unless they're just completely delusional, they know that they didn't do it on their own. You know, they they had to bring people along for the ride. They had to get people to buy in and support what they were doing, or they never would have made it. It would have been a great idea that died on the vine. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Well, with this other company that you have, Learning Sharks, where yeah. you are in an advisory role to companies, it gives you another perspective of discovering what are some of the issues that they're dealing with, and especially around people. And this sort of ties in with your recent podcast episode where you did a solo that was excellent. I want to recommend my listeners go um, look that one up because you were talking about four trends Mm -hmm. that you've seen based on conversations with your clients, with others. I'd love for you to talk about those four because they're so pertinent to where we are in the world right now. Yeah. Well, and and you can tell me how far you want to dive in and you kind of steer the ship. But if if we're reflecting, I have a lot of conversations, but if I'm remembering correctly, the four things we're talking about is really what's going on with frontline managers and managers in general. Mm-hmm. 
this, the talent marketplace right now in terms of, I mean, it is a competitive space. The well-being of our workforce is in a just catastrophic state. And then on top of it, we've got this skill divide where we're missing skills. People need skills. They don't know where to get skills. Where Do you buy? Do you build? That whole thing. Is that making Those, sure that we're having the same Yeah, that's great. Yep. Because I, I had taken notes from that because I thought each one of those is really important. And you spoke about them so eloquently. Let's So let's start with these managers that are just yeah. feeling really overwhelmed. What's been going on? <laughs> we know the pandemic has, obviously. Yeah. But what, what's been happening to exacerbate that whole issue? Well, you know, and, and I, I love the fact that you bring up that the issue's been exacerbated because I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, the pandemic is it's been an easy thing to point the finger at. Oh, well, our managers are struggling because of the pandemic. We had great, you know, management is rough because, and honestly, in my entire career, I don't think I've ever advised or worked with a company where they had managers figured out, you know, oh, our managers do a great job. We don't have any issues with them. It's always been a thing. But I think what happened with the pandemic was, they got thrown into a situation they were already ill-equipped to handle. And then the volume got turned up to 11. They were struggling with just adapting to their own personal environment. Now they were strapped with trying to be a leader that they were already struggling with and in now in this new environment. And then on top of it, I mean, you just look at how much they, they were also faced with kind of that reality that they maybe weren't as good as they thought. And I think that's that's a lot for any human being to take in overnight, to go, mm-hmm. oh, I thought I was really good. Apparently, I'm not as good as I thought. I also have to do this thing I'm apparently not very good at in this environment that is completely new to me. Oh, and on top of it, I'm having a hard time just adapting to life. That's a heavy burden for people. And I think that's that's that kind of trifecta we're seeing that is exacerbating a pre-existing problem, but at a level we've never seen. And so what are you seeing some of the stronger companies do to address that problem? You know, it's funny. I had this conversation the other day because somebody said, what's the most effective thing you've ever done with a company to help them with their leadership development? And I said, I made career pathways where you didn't have to be a leader to move up simplest change I ever made in an organization was that it was okay to not be a people leader. And and by that simple act of saying, you can move up, be more successful in your career, and you don't have to choose to take on the responsibility of people leaders. It's simply a different choice, neither good nor bad. And I mean, within a very short period of time, I watched leadership problems just fall off the wayside because suddenly you had people who really actually wanted to lead people, leading people and people who had no, I mean, we had people who were in leadership roles, raise their hand and go, uh, I don't really want to be here. And I've never wanted to be here, but is it okay if I move? And we moved them out. So, so I think, you know, is every company doing that? No. And I think there's things that we can do. You know, a lot of people don't really know what it means to lead people. We got culture issues, you know, in companies where 
the the old school mindset of being a leader means bossing people around and and you know now we're seeing in companies where it's like well employees have choices so if that's how you're running it they're going to leave cuz they can't so but hopefully that kind of gives a little bit of context cuz again it there's does. no simple answer no and i think that segues well into the other point about the whole talent issue there's a a dearth of, of, of talent. There's a lot of competition. It's sort of like the housing market. The prices are getting yes. driven up um, because of that. And so, again, let's, you know, just kind of define what the issue is and why it exists. And then what are you seeing companies that are succeeding in attracting the best talent? What are they doing right? Yeah. You know, when, when I look at the marketplace, I, I almost feel like what happened in the last two years is we had a bit of a great awakening um, in that there have been so many workplace myths, career myths that people have just, they've just accepted it. They've just said, well, this is what I got to do. And this is how things have to be. And, and it is what it is. And when I get to 65 or whatever, I'll retire and and move on with my life. And I think the past two years, people went, well, wait a minute now, you know, all these things I was told, there's no other way by, by no choice of my own. I'm being shown that I guess I do have a choice. I guess there is a choice. And I think that's forced a lot of people to just rethink. Now I called it the great reprioritization. Everybody's got a term for it. The great this, the great what I said, great awakening, right? I mean, whatever you call it, what you want. But I think in many regards, a lot of the workforce kind of said, I don't know that I'm going to accept things just the way they are. And you know what? I actually have viable options to do something different. Now, where I'm seeing organizations embrace that, I almost see it on a spectrum. (laughs) You see the organizations that are going, nope, I refuse to accept this. It's only a matter of time. And then we're going to go back to exactly how things were. Those are the ones that I'm seeing just making life difficult for themselves. And they are spending money out the nose on, on perks and benefits to try and keep people that hate being there. And they're, you know, they're, they're just struggling The other end of the spectrum is like, we're going to solve it, but we're going to solve it for this like ideal prototype. Like, okay, here's what the future of work looks like. And we've now architected it. And now we've projected it to the org and go, we used to be this. Now we're this. Ta-da. And they're finding that people are going, "Mm, no, that's not me. And so now they're struggling going, well, wait a minute, like we adapted. We're like this futuristic new age company. Why isn't everybody coming? And it's like, well, because you're still trying to force everyone into a different box, but you're still trying to force them into a box. You're still saying, well, this is how it works. And people are going, well, that doesn't work for me either, which I think the companies that are doing really well are saying, we need to define our non-negotiables in terms of these are the pillars that there's just no, you got to work within the confines of this. Like, can you make a good living and not work? Um, no, that's <laughs> not really, I mean, we, we, we can't just pay you to go to the beach and, and whatever. We can't do that. You do have to work. So I think there has to be some like, these are the things we have to do, but how you choose to execute against that, the companies that are doing it well are saying, 
I mean, within reason, you decide that and we'll hold you accountable. Going back to the accountability, we're going to hold you accountable to it. If you said you're going to do this, you're not going to be here if you don't do it. But if you say you're going to do this, I'm not really going to get in your way of, well, no, no more like this. And I, I want you to be sitting here and, and doing this and you got to do it. They're more going, ah, it's more important to us that you get it done and do mm-hmm. it well than us dictate the means in which you do it. And I think those are the companies that really are thriving right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm, it's sounding to me like is giving, looking for ways to give people freedom of choice. Yeah. And most adults appreciate being given options they do. Of, of, how to, of how to do things. And I think that's especially true with the younger workers coming in that they want to do meaningful work, but not necessarily put in 80 hours a week to have to get it done. They want a life. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's where priorities are changing a little bit. I think, you know, if anything, um, you know, the pandemic has shown people, you know, for me, it was a little different. I grew up in a funeral home. So for me, the reality that this is coming to an end, whether I want it to or not, and I can't predict when that's happening. So I better have my priorities in order. That was a daily reality from childhood. But I think for a lot of people, these past couple of years, they went, I've had my priorities out of whack. Like I've been pursuing all this stuff, not thinking about the fact that that could go away tomorrow. And then what am I left with? Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that, you know, based on what you said is, I think organizations are slowly realizing there was a bit of a fear mentality of like, well, if we, if we empower the employees, imagine what they'll do. You know, if we actually give them the freedom of choice and, and it's, you know, they're, they've had, they're focused on the bad examples, the person that, you know, went off the chain and did all this other stuff. And so they're like, oh, if we let people be flexible, they'll probably binge watch Netflix all day and never do their work. And it's like, Actually, no, the vast majority of people want to work hard, be successful, be valued by the companies they work for. And if anything, the data is coming back that people are pushing themselves harder because they feel like, I just, I so want to show how much value that I bring. And I think that's something that companies who are getting it are going, oh, all this thing we were so afraid would happen if we gave over the keys. Turns out we give over the keys and they exceed our expectations. They're more responsible than we ever imagined they would be. And, you know, Christopher, that kind of leads into the third area of well-being because people have been, especially when they've needed to work at home, the boundaries of work and home have been muddied, to say the least. Plus, having kids at home, there were just a lot of complicating factors. So well-being really took a hit. And so I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, what you're seeing companies do to become more aware of each person's well-being needs and how they're addressing that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is uh, one of the trends that I've seen in organizations, it's kind of that knee-jerk reaction. You know, trends come out, well-being's a problem, burnout's a thing. Everybody's like, ah, we got to do something. I know, let's like send out a survey. Let's ask everybody, you know, what's wrong with them. And I'm not saying that's not valuable. I think there's value to doing that, but it it kind of supersedes, it skips over some of these more core things. You know, one is 
do you even have an organization where people trust that they can tell you that they're having a hard time? Because if they don't, you can survey them, you can focus group that, you can do whatever you want. But if they're afraid of telling you the truth, you will never solve this well-being problem. Getting to a culture of, I care deeply about you, even when that's hard and even when you're struggling and I, I care about you and I want what's best for you, that's work. And I think that's something where, you know, some companies have overlooked that for a long time. And it's like the person that gets to retirement and never put any money in their 401k. And they're like, so how do I get a million dollars in retirement by next year? And it's like, I mean, you don't, you don't, you're going to have to do the hard work and you're going to have to acknowledge publicly, you know what, we haven't had a real strong culture of trust and compassion and, and we need to change that. And we're committed to changing that. And, and you need to be like, okay, we said it. You can't be like, okay, we said it now. So tell us the truth. Cause it's not going to happen. It's going to take time for people to start going. And again, I see that in my own orgs. When I come in, new leader comes in, Hey, I really care about you. I know things are going to be different, but I want what's best for you. Everybody kind of rolls their eyes and goes, heard that one before. And, and you got to take time to go, no, I mean it, I'm serious. And, and there's going to be times I'm going to get frustrated, but we're going to work through this. And I think the other one is sometimes we just don't, we don't ask to listen. We ask to, you know, push our agenda, you know, and, and, and we may pulse people and say, Hey, what's wrong. And then they tell us and they go, great. Okay. Why? Well, so we already were planning on doing, we're not actually going, help me understand that. You know, you're you're burning out. Why? What is it? And then listen and actually do something about it. I mean, some of those things are really foundational and fundamental. Yeah. But they're powerful. And and I've seen them turn orgs all the way around, all the way around. Yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you, Christopher, what's coming to mind is it has nothing to do with fancy technology. (laughs) It's all the the interpersonal connecting with others in a meaningful way. Those tools can supplement, but they can't ever replace the real work of building relationships. Well, and I think, you know, that's where, and I think that's why I found myself where I did was because to me, I never looked at technology as the solution. I never went, and, and I, that's where I always felt out of place. I'm like, Technology is not going to fix it. If it's fundamentally broken, you can throw technology all you want, but it's just going to speed up or exacerbate an existing problem. You've got to do the work to solve the problem. Can technology accelerate, amplify? You know, sure, absolutely. But it also has just as much power to do the exact opposite if you don't solve for it. And I think, you know, that's one of those things where taking the time to say, really at its core, what do we need to do? Now, I'm a big advocate of technology because there's lots of things where people artificially put barriers in place that don't exist, where they say, well, and and a good example is the pandemic. I'm super introverted. And I had to learn how to be social and build connections and build relationships digitally. And that's a different skill set. And I remember being told, well, there's just, there's certain things you just can't do. And I said, 
No, if I can deconstruct what's at the core of it, I can replicate it. Now, granted, is it going to look different? Is it going to feel different? Is it going to take a different skill set? Absolutely. And that's going to be some hard work. And that's where I've helped a lot of organizations over the last couple of years go, <laughs> you've got to fundamentally, and this will tie to point four, but like you've got to fundamentally retune yourself because your engine was optimized to run on, you know, diesel. And now you're trying to run it on clean energy and well, you're going to have to retune your engine. It doesn't mean you got to throw the whole thing out, but that's a bad example because you would, but you get the gist of it where it's yeah. like, well, no, we've got to, we've got to retune it. And, but we got to not say, well, we can't, we just can't do that. Well, no technology has pretty much eliminated anything of a, we can't do this. It's just radically changed the way you may have to execute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole thing of, of the skills that are needed for a given situation you can outgrow them or you can, as you said, the situation changes and they no longer work. And so that willingness to be open is a, is a, a kind of a prelude to even being ready to learn the new skills, right? It's having that mindset of this is okay. This is just how life evolves and situations evolve. So I need to be willing to open my mind to adopt other things. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen organizations, so there's, there's two big barriers to this that are almost more mindset shifts that I've seen organizations have to make. And, and the first one is there is a lot of apocalyptic stuff out there about skills are changing all the time. They're changing all the time. The half-life of skills is is two years now. So literally every two years, you're going to have to retune your entire work. That sounds pretty apocalyptic, given the fact that like the average person can't even like learn new skills more than a couple over the course of a few years. So to think, oh my goodness, we're basically dealing with rebuilding the plane with no instructions every two years. That sounds like an impossible task, but it's not it's not real. I mean, are there hard skills that are changing faster? Yes. If you're still going into VCR repair, you're probably not going to have a terribly viable career because I don't know the VCRs are going to make a comeback. But the skills with understanding how do you work with electronics and how might you actually need to do something and you know deconstruct and put it back... Well, that's not going anywhere. Mm. So I think what I'm finding that, I, that is helpful for organizations is to understand that it's like, but what are the constants underneath this change? So again, is the mm-hmm. fundamental role of a people manager going to change? No. Is the way they execute that going to, well, yeah, in the last two years, we've seen radically how much that has changed and, and saying, okay, So we don't need to rebuild a manager from scratch. There are consistencies in that, but the nuance and the switches we need to flip for how they execute the delivery of that, that is going to change. And you see that even in hard skills. Some people are like, well, this is a a dead coding language. Okay, but the principles of information security still remain. And yes, you might apply it in a different way and you have to learn new terminology, but really that kind of data mindset that's a constant across the board. So I think that's one thing that helps make it more mm-hmm. for orgs that are panicking. 
as they think, oh, business transformation, we've got to rehire everyone in the company. No, you don't. But I think the other thing is that I've seen is when you start messing with people's skills, and I would just say they're, they're what they do, you're dealing with people's personal and professional identities. And there's a psychological factor that goes into that, that companies need to recognize they're messing with, mm. with their workforce. And not that you can't overcome it, but when people hear, we need to reskill everyone in the next two years, people hear, I'm worthless now, and I'm going to have to vie for my job. And they move into survival mode where it's just like, I, I'm not thriving anymore. I'm just I'm just trying to stay alive because if I, I'm just trying to avoid my head on the chopping block. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen that with my own teams where you say, we're going to do things differently, but that doesn't mean you don't matter. That doesn't, but I understand you, you've really connected your professional identity in this. And, and let's talk openly about that. Let's talk about what really makes you valuable and how we can have you demonstrate that in a new way. I don't need you to become a different person. I don't need you to become a different person. I don't need to get rid of you and hire a new person. I just need you to be that new person in a slightly different way. And that's something that helps people work through the change. And help oh, you know, Christopher, that is so huge because we all tell ourselves these stories based on what we perceive is happening. And we can run with those stories and go way out into the wrong direction but unless someone sits down with us and has a conversation, like you just said, nobody's correcting that. So I'm living with that anxiety and all those negatives. And it's amazing how much a real leader can do to allay those concerns and put them to rest in a short amount of time. It doesn't yeah. have to require a lot of time, but it does require, as you said, asking questions, really listening and responding in a way that's reassuring to the person exactly. so that you really get what concerns they're expressing and don't just give lip service to it and then move on to the next topic. So that, cause then that could be even worse. It's like, yeah. well, why did you bother even asking me if you weren't going to really listen to what I was trying to tell you? Yeah. No. And it's funny because on that topic, I was, I was talking um, with a, a company that does data analytics, big data for, for companies. And um, we were having a conversation about this in terms of, you know, pulsing things. And, and the data shows people aren't opposed to being asked things. They, they actually will never tire of being asked things. Like they, in fact, they love it. They love being asked. What they tire of is being asked sharing and nothing being done with it. Mm -hmm. That is where people will fundamentally give up and say, you know what? I, I'm, and it presents itself as, oh, and that's where you hear, oh, survey fatigue. No, there's no such thing as survey fatigue. There's lack of action fatigue. You've surveyed them and done nothing with it. And they're tired of you asking and them telling you and feeling like there's nothing there. But I also love the point you brought up that, you know, people fill in the void and it's not with good information. So, and that's just human nature. You know, when you don't know, for the most part, people will kind of go, oh, that's not good. You know, they won't go, I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I haven't heard about the future of my job, but I'm sure it's going to be, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Like that is not the conversation. And if you can get in front of that, 
You can dramatically shift the narrative. That is so important. Christopher, we could keep going on. I've enjoyed this so much. I am going to need to wrap it up. And I want to ask you to please share with my listeners how they can connect with you, get uh, information about your Learning Sharks website, and also your wonderful podcast, Learning Tech Talks. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, if people want to like connect directly, I'm, I'm a LinkedIn junkie. So people know if, if it's LinkedIn, you'll, you'll get in touch with me type of a thing. So that's probably the most direct thing. My website, Learning Sharks has all the detail. I I have an online community where people stay connected. I do a lot of different things. Um, And again, I I brought my learning principles to my, I don't even know if I'd call it a podcast. It is a podcast, but it's a lot of things because I brought my learning principle of people should be able to consume it when, where, and how they want. So if you want to listen to it, fine. If you want to watch it, if you want to attend it as a live event, so be it. But all that, all the details are either on LinkedIn or on the website. Mm-hmm. Cause you do it LinkedIn live, right? I do. Well, yeah, yeah. it's actually live on like eight different platforms. So. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> well, very good. I highly recommend it to anyone that's interested in learning as well as technology. It's a nice blend and you really go deep in some things that I think are very important for people getting real results. Yeah. And making real changes. Christopher, thank you. It was delightful to have this conversation with you. And I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for inviting me. And it was a pleasure chatting with you as well. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.